0: Neve Sessions with AMS Neve. Today we're welcoming engineer, producer and mixer, Fiona Cruickshank onto the podcast, whose recent TV and film credits include Sex, Education 2 and Supernova, starring Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. Welcome Fiona, how are you today? I'm great, thanks, how are you? I'm really, really good, thank you. Lovely Monday morning, oh, not morning, afternoon. God, I think I need more coffee then already, (laughs) don't I? I Exactly, yeah. Jeez. Well, um, <laughs> you've obviously been at um, Air Studios for a while. Is that where I'm speaking to you from today on your break?
1: Um, today I'm actually at my own kind of mix room. Um, I hire a space in a, chair, a kind of warehouse of different studios and programming rooms um, called 1087. So I've got a 5.1 set up here and, and this is where I mix a lot of my stuff. We're not at Air or the other studios.
0: Okay, I see. And how has uh, this year been shaping up for you so far in terms of work? It sounds like you're incredibly busy
1: um, at the moment. (laughs) I'm definitely having a lucky month, (laughs) at least. Um, I've been pretty lucky, really, that kept pretty steady through all of the madness of the last year. Um, I think because I work in TV and film, thankfully, there has been stuff still to do, you know, things that were already filmed before Lockdowns and and there's a lot of kind of content, a lot of people pushing for new stuff on Netflix, and Amazon, and all that. So it's been quite good.
0: Yeah, you know, that's good to hear. I was wondering um, if there would be a sort of bottleneck effect with all the productions that are now allowed to film. Because obviously you're allowed extras on set, you can mix people um, up together again. You know, within the regulations. So a lot of people that I've spoken to have said there does seem to be a lot of work coming in now, which is great.
1: Yeah. No, it's amazing. I'm sort of wondering whether there'll be another lull at some point when we're back into like mostly filming and then they're waiting to do post. But at the moment, you know, the studios in London seem pretty busy and that's a really good sign.
0: Well, so far, so good then. And um, how did you adjust last year then when it was, I'd say, in the deep... Part of the pandemic or um, you know the lockdown um, periods with all the studios closing were you able to mix and work in your own space still?
1: Yes and I think well 1087 was probably closed for a short while um, as everywhere was I guess while we were trying to work out how to do things safely Um, so I just set up at home as many people did you know spare room studio um, and carried on there and I was really lucky actually because I was working on an album last summer um or in the sort of thick of it the worst of it you know so I was able to keep going without really we had done a lot of the recording so I was at the right place in the process if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and we were able to continue remotely so the sad thing was that we couldn't do it together in a studio the whole time but the good thing was yeah to be able to keep working and and have the artist on audio movers and zoom and you know send ideas back and forth and just keep mixing
0: Mm. and how different is it as as in terms of an experience when you're not there working with the artist or the other person you're collaborating with I know it's something you can get used to of course but did you notice that it was quite a lot different to what you thought like you really missed that interaction or anything
1: I definitely miss and need people (laughs) Um, it's funny with mixing because I feel like it's always good to do a bit of it on your own, like just kind of at least when you're getting started, you know, um find sounds and be able to try things out without worrying about looking like an idiot but um but then there definitely comes a point where you lose time if you're not actually with the person you're collaborating with um doing things together, so yeah, in an ideal world, I'd do both <laughs> start the mixing on my own, and then have someone come in and join me mm. um, but yeah, it's still doing a lot of remote mixing, most things are still remote. Um, And I think like many things, I suppose like people who work in an office haven't quite all gone back yet, have they? It's like, it's going to take us a while to get back to normal.
0: Yeah, and I expect when people do start, for instance, commuting on full and packed trains again, it will be a bit strange thinking Mm -hmm. that how this used to be the way and now we're going to have to all adapt to it. And with things being busy again, I I personally find it, but i notice i suppose is the way of putting it when i'm in a busy place now whereas obviously before you wouldn't yes. give a second thought to it would you
1: no that's absolutely true yeah and i think some people are actually enjoying the remote thing from a technical point of view because you know composers are like in their own studio with the speakers they know and use every day and so in some ways it kind of makes it easier for them to make decisions than them coming into my room that they've maybe been in a couple of times or but they don't know, know it as well you know so some people are actually actively liking it I think and then what we might do is keep up the remote thing and then have more socials.
0: <laughs> yes yeah that could be the way forward and um, I'm curious as well what was your route into recording mixing and music editing were you always really focused on music as a child and maybe a teen did you do some perhaps some work experience were you a runner how did you get into it?
1: I was definitely always focused on music yeah um and I I loved it and I I played instruments and sang but I never wanted to kind of be a performer um and I tried writing songs but I wasn't very good at that either and then um (laughs) I had a piano teacher at school who sort of I think we had a big kind of concert you know and I was quite interested in the live sound and how, how they were doing it at the concert. I think I was about 12 at the time and he sort of saw that and had a studio actually in his garage, sort of converted garage into a nice studio full of Moog synths and different keyboard instruments. And I had a desk in it and the, a recording system. I think he's on digital performer. Um, and so I kind of started going around to his house to help record bands that he was working with and, um, and it built built up from there, really. Then he suggested, you know, oh, if you like the recording side of things, there's this course called the Tom Meister course at Surrey. Everyone seems to have gone there. Um, and so I kind of researched that and, yeah, then went to uni to do music and sound recording and the rest is history.
0: Yeah, wonderful. I know um, one of your the people that you work with, it's Nick Wallage, isn't it? He did the same course.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, Nick did it, um, Olga Fitzroy, Another air engineer, she she was on that course as well. Um, there are others, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but for me, that was the right kind of course because I played the oboe and I'd already, always been kind of an orchestral musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang in bands and stuff, but I, I was definitely interested in that side of things. And the Tonmeister was more of a, like a classical music degree with, with a recording degree, um, whereas a lot of the other courses I went on Wanted you to be a guitar or a drummer or something, and you know that just wasn't my background.
0: Mm, yeah, fair enough. So, um, when you look back now, what would you say your first big break was when it came to making it in the industry?
1: I guess getting the placement job at Air. Um, the course I was on had a third year in the industry, and so you applied for placements, um, and they had contacts with kind of Abbey Road and Air and BBC and loads of different companies both in music recording and in sound production and post Um, and I I really wanted air that was my top choice and uh, I actually got another job before air but that other job let me go for my interview at air (laughs) because they knew it was the one I wanted and as soon as I got that you know I really became a part of it and then you know they couldn't get rid of me (laughs)
0: Literally, yeah. Well, it all happens for a reason, doesn't it? It clearly worked out well and for the best. Um, I know you've also got experience you've touched on as well as a film music editor. Um, And just for the benefit of our listeners, some of the projects you've worked on, which are, well, there's many, but um, Aladdin, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Beauty and the Beast, so huge, huge films. And I I personally love The Grand Budapest Hotel. What was it like working on this Wes Anderson film? What was your approach on this one?
1: Oh, my God. Well... I mean, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, um, and I sort of I was assisting at Air at the time, and uh, films. I guess like the the assistant, you're doing a lot of Pro Tools work, um, and that is running Pro Tools during the sessions, but also then editing the performances together after the sessions. And but quite a lot of the way the sort of Wes team works is that you record big suites of music. And then he imagines it as kind of chunks and chops it up and plays around with it and, you know, reworks things. Um, and so I, I just was really interested in it. And the, the music editor on that one, Jan McCulloch, was like, oh, well, if you, you know, if you want to get involved, you know, I'm sure we can find a job for you. So I was helping him basically build cues from other things and, you know, edit things together. And it was just amazing was A to... See how he worked, and and to work with where's who does things in such a different way, his own way, you know. Yeah, and, and get that experience.
0: Oh, what a brilliant project to be part of! Mm. And um, you do, um as well as engineering, you do a lot of score and classical editing as well, don't you? So you essentially make the music sound as good as it possibly can before mixing. So, what is it that you like about this process? I imagine it must be quite satisfying.
1: Yeah, it's quite creative. Um, you know, that's often the part of the process where you are picking out the very best bits to make the ideal performance kind of thing. Um, certainly doing an album like uh, Six Lethargies with with Keaton, um, I was producing it as well. So I got all the, was there on the recordings and, you know, taking furious notes on my score and everything, but then you get back and you put it together and that's when you really hear this performance come alive, everything you've kind of tweaked and, every suggestion you've made and, and every little nuance and every take they've done is slightly different, you know, so it's quite creative putting it all together.
0: Mm, sounds it. And um, I know you're also, you're particularly passionate about working with artists who are new to the world of film. So why is that and how does your experience with music editing and mixing help, I guess, translate their vision or the, shall I not say vision, their sound, the vision of their sound without restricting oh, yeah.
1: any oh, their creativity? <laughs> Yeah, I think um because I grew up at Air for so many years and I got very into the kind of organizational side of the process um <laughs> understanding how to prepare for a recording session for example um and how to organize each music cue and how and what the people at the next stage of the process the dubbing mix you know need from us to make their lives easier. Um these are things that a new composer for film might not have seen before or have much experience in, you know, mm-hmm. um, might be able to write the music, but then actually understanding how to deliver it <laughs> is more tricky if you've never done it before. So I think that's, you know, a strength that I have, I suppose, just experience in that area. And then um, it's often more collaborative working with someone that's new to it, you know, so can be more creative as well.
0: Yeah, I suppose you're working with someone with a completely fresh perspective there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm. And you've mentioned, obviously, air and your work there. And you've worked in-house for air, well, for over 11 years, and you joined air management in 2018. So in that time, you've worked with... Um, You know, the world's best engineers, producers on projects from, you know, film, TV, classical albums, bluegrass. You've worked with Imogen Heap, Jacob Collier, many, many, many others. It sounds like you've had a really, really nice mix of projects to work on then over the years.
1: I think that's the great thing about starting at a studio like Air or Abbey Road, I guess, um, is that they do a huge variety of projects and that your training is quite varied. You know, um, when you're assisting, you're working on jazz and rock and pop and orchestral, classical and film music kind of covers all genres. So I think that's really helped now to be able to say, oh, okay, we're doing big band tomorrow. Great. And then the day after will be a classical quartet and the day after will be like, you know, heavy drums or. (laughs) (laughs) And just having that. A little bit of knowledge from having seen many things over the years and then obviously your instincts as well um makes it really fun
0: yeah huge huge mix then of projects so um this is a bit unfair have you had a particular favorite project that you look back on now and think that was just fantastic or maybe one that you didn't <laughs> expect to enjoy I suppose as much as you did oh
1: that's so tricky it's cruel isn't it it's cruel, <laughs> that is cruel. um I mean there are there's so i uh, yeah there are so many good projects um and things that have been really fun. And I, I struggle to pick one without insulting my friends. <laughs> 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 because it's really hard. Fair um, enough, fair enough, fair but enough. just like I can speak for like last week, for example, um, <laughs> I got to record a score for a composer called Alberto Iglesias. And he was someone I used to assist a lot at air, you know, when I was, there on staff and I just absolutely loved his music but he's got his own team of people and so I thought okay well you know he's one of the people that I'd have to say goodbye to when I stopped assisting basically and then last week I got to record one of his scores which was a real like pinch me moment because yeah he was one of the highlights of my assisting career um so yeah last week was a good week <laughs>
0: okay that's nice then very full circle yeah.
1: as well full circle exactly but yeah no I mean, this job is amazing and fun. And if anything stressful happens, I seem to block that out. So it's really hard to choose the good bits.
0: <laughs> you must teach me those methods of blocking the stress out as well, Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd love to know um, as well, what are some of the key things you've learned over the years of working at AIR, working in such a prestigious studio with such talented professionals around you? Is there something that you think you can only really learn from being there, not from learning in books, for instance?
1: I guess, yeah, there's a certain sort of personality side to it, or you can learn all the technical skills of, of how to work a desk or, you know, which microphones might work. But the thing that I learned there was really how to run a session and how to kind of show your client and that everything's under control now. You know, you're taking a lot of the the burden they've probably been working on this thing for months and months and months and they have finally got to the point where they get to record and mix it and they might have had no sleep and they're probably quite stressed you know and um just the fact that they can come to us and then we're like okay we've got you now you know we're going to get this done we're going to make it amazing you know and you take a lot of that sort of weight off them hopefully and and helping them as a second pair of ears I guess taking that step back and and seeing the bigger picture so being able to suggest things while you're recording or on the mix being able to try things out that they might not have heard anymore because they're so deep in it you know that they can't see the bigger picture maybe um so that's the sort of thing that I think I learned to air how to how to run a session hopefully how to communicate effectively with them and with the musicians and with producers or directors or any of those people
0: I mm, understand. Yeah, good advice there and like you say any things you could have learned from from being there and actually doing it. Um so some of your projects, of course you've got loads, so it's really hard to pick, but I would like to just ask you about Sex Education too because you worked on that as the score mixer, which is obviously probably everyone knows this huge Netflix show. Um season 3's out later this year, so how did you get involved um on se- season 2? What was your process working as the score mixer on this?
1: Um well, I work a lot with Ollie Julian who's the composer on the show and he called me up and kind of asked me to get involved with the tracks he was writing some stuff with Ezra Furman and they'd been recording together abroad I can't remember where Ezra's based now maybe is it New York I'm not sure but they'd been working together somewhere else anyway and and then they've recorded a lot of the stuff. And then she was going to send us sort of some stems and we were going to mix it for the show to be suitable for that kind of thing. So that that was my part of the process.
0: OK, OK. And um, have you seen all the, the series yourself, both season one and two? Yes.
1: Oh yeah absolutely big fan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it great I suppose like the concept of it I didn't really know it sort of came out of nowhere season one well for me as someone you know obviously no part in the creation of it but it's not maybe something on paper I'd expect to like but it's just so good
1: isn't it so funny. It's so funny and I like that it's kind of weirdly timeless.
0: Yes I know what you mean. And yet
1: modern in like the the ideas that it's showing on TV you know it's doing things that are we haven't seen before that are breaking boundaries and um yeah i really like it
0: yeah agreed it must be a great project to be a part of because of that like so they're bringing up important issues um mm. that maybe haven't been i mean mainstream media but they have i suppose they have in a way but uh, they're doing it in quite a bold way i suppose that's a way to put it um into a wide audience so yeah it must be a great one to be a part of so um Yeah, and um, so on to, I guess, the studio side of things a little bit more. You're a Neve user, of course, and Air obviously has various unique Neve consoles. So I'd love to know a little bit about which ones you
1: use. Um, Yeah, so Air has got an 88R in the hall, which is 96 channels. And yet some people do run out. Um, How? (laughs) And it's also got this sort of custom vintage. Which... I mean, both of them are amazing desks. The like, ATAR has become a sort of film score standard. Um, because of the flexibility of, of monitoring, you can put things on lots of different stems. And when we're recording scores, we often, often have to record a sort of live mix of what you're listening to, um, either to play back to overdub on or off someone else. Um, so being able to bust, to lots of different monitor stems is really useful, um, and that's something we sort of struggle with in the other on the vintage neve, um, but the vintage one just you know sounds amazing, and a lot of you know great records have been done in that room as well as schools. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the history that goes with it is just phenomenal, especially for music lovers. Um, so how long have you been using Neve? What was the very first desk that you used? Can you remember?
1: It was a Neve VR at the University of Surrey.
0: Yes, of course, that uni has all the great equipment there and a, what a great start for you as well um, to go on to mm-hmm. work at all Places, which has a... Uh, an array of news um and you broke up a little bit earlier when you're talking about the 88r so i'd just love to hear a little bit more about how this one in particular suits the way you work what is it
1: about this console um it's the the stem monitor section that allows you to kind of send things to multiple stems either for printing live mixes so in the hall we've got the sort of main hall area but then we have all these different booths um So, for example, when we were doing the Mary Poppins score, we had drums and percussion in a booth, double bass in a separate booth, vocals in another booth, um, guitars in another booth, and then the orchestra were in the main hall. And we were able to put all those different things on a separate um, monitor and then print a separate live mix for each thing, which meant that if we just needed to do another take with the orchestra, but not everyone else, we could play back the mix and also we had all these separate mixes if we needed to edit down or play something to a vocalist that was you know working out their part for the next day or that kind of thing so that's why it's, it's very useful.
0: Okay yeah absolutely that makes sense uh, now I've explained it and um, you mentioned as well so you know oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and um, I know you said earlier your favorite is the obviously the famous uh, Montserrat console so what's your experience with this desk what does it bring to the projects that you work on
1: I feel like in studio one I've either assisted or, or recorded on kind of really special smaller more indie scores or bands and records and just seems to sound great whatever you know whatever you're recording through it whether it's jazz or like done some really great kind of Rock stuff and or lovely sort of French film. If you imagine that sort of film score of a small ensemble of guitars and percussion and trumpet, and you know, it just it kind of has its own warmth and personality.
0: Mm. And um, outside of there, because you don't always work there, as you have said earlier, you also work at the church a lot, don't you? On their EMI Neve with ten ninety one yeah. modules and at Snap, of course, on their ninety seventy two vintage Neve fifty three sixteen console. So. I'm just curious, how does this vintage and modern Neve gear help you in the studio and mix things up a bit?
1: The church is a bit of a, a dream studio. <laughs> Paul Hepworth, um, can you imagine basically owning that desk and it being your own? <laughs> I'm just like blown know, away. Just but, casually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's his, like just his, that's mental. Um, and it's just such a beautiful console and everything you record through it sounds gorgeous. Um, but also, they're just really satisfying to use. You know, there's, there's something about the the size of the knobs. <laughs> but, the, you know, they're just beautiful and satisfying and and sound. And I'm sure that they make a big difference to everything, you know, that I record in there.
0: Mm, and, uh, well, clearly you're doing a lot of different projects. So it must be doing something right. You rely on them obviously time and time again. They have that certain sound that you like. So that's wonderful to hear.
1: And they're intuitive. And I guess that my, I didn't really come from the proper engineering physics side into this. So yeah, I, I'm not that nerdy about the like real nitty gritty component parts of it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know, like different capacitors or that's, that's not really my, I'm not very good at that, but the uh, yeah, the sound and the warmth of it. And obviously I understand how to use them, but yeah, the, the Neve I just find is, is really intuitive for anyone that might be starting out on them as well. Um, whereas some other desks, I think, are more confusing to get started with and don't bring as much character for me.
0: Okay that's interesting to hear from your point of view there um, as working on different concerts, as I'm sure you've tried a few. Um, I know a recent project you recorded on Neve is the Supernova film which I mentioned earlier so this is the film score by Keaton Henson which you worked on at the church so um, this looks like a wonderful film I haven't seen it yet I've seen the trailer it looks very moving and it's brilliant brilliant actors in it and um, so I'm just curious what Nieve gear did you use for this project then?
1: Yeah I was using the um, the big EMI desk at the church um, and then pairing with that you know quite a lot of sort of valvey stuff we were definitely going for a warm and intimate sound rather than too clean and classical um, and the, the sort of idea of it was that you could hear every little movement of the, the bow on the string and It was like you're really sitting next to the players, you know, because there's such an intimacy to the film. You're part of their relationship, basically, on this journey that they go on. And so we wanted the music to reflect that and be, yeah, really intimate, but also have the sound of of that gorgeous room.
0: Yeah, of course. And um, just from seeing the trailer, that does make sense um, that you wanted something warm and uh I guess, yeah, vintagey sounding just to to translate that feeling of the intimacy of the of the two main characters, of course, going through a really difficult time. It's um looks like quite a moving film. So that does make sense now that you explain yeah. your approach to that one. So it sounds like it was quite essential um to the workflow then. This um EMI and Eve with the is it the ten ninety one modules used on this one?
1: Yes, exactly. I think that that room and and all parts of it, you know, both the, the acoustic and the desk and the, and the mics and everything about it really was the ideal place <laughs> for this particular school.
0: Mm. Wonderful. And um, I take it you've seen the film uh, in its finished glory since it's been out.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, such a, always such a treat. Um, and on that project as well, they were really good at sort of getting me involved quite early on. Um, and so I saw the film without any music at the very start and then obviously we worked on it. And then so to see it all finished, it's just <laughs> so lovely.
0: Oh, that's great. You were brought in so early then. It must be quite strange to watch a film with no music whatsoever,
1: I imagine. It is. Yeah, definitely. No music at all is <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Because then where do you start such a blank slate, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, for... For composers, they make a score, so they put music that already exists to the picture, and they try out different things. Um, And quite often, they're definitely not the right thing, but they bring the right feeling or the right mood, or you know. So we kind of got this guide as well from production, Um, but what Keaton's done is just you know another level.
0: Yeah, well, I can't wait to see it. I don't know why I haven't yet, probably because maybe it's not on streaming yet and I didn't venture to the cinema at whatever time that was, but um, it looks like it's going to win a lot of awards. If it hasn't already, I'm sure it has, to be honest. (laughs) Hopefully, yes,
1: because it is really, really special.
0: Yeah, a wonderful one to be part of. And um, if you're allowed to say any of these, because I know a lot of this stuff you work
1: on is obviously quite
0: confidential. Just um, how's the rest of your year looking so far? Are you busy with lots of projects coming up at the moment?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I've just been working on a couple of different projects with Isabel Wallerbridge, bridge and um, I've possibly got a couple of album things later in the year and, um, yeah, it's really difficult because I'm not really allowed to say. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> don't talk about things when they're out. Um, That's fine. We don't want to get you which, in any trouble which with sounds like, very streaming exciting giants, school, but, You know. <laughs> But also being a freelancer, my... My diary is sort of but about a month in advance and I, there's often a lot of surprises, which keeps things exciting, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it does. That's great though, that you've got um, so much coming up and so much top secret work. Very intriguing. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, I guess it's all just in case I get fired and then it doesn't happen, you know. <laughs> You're not, not going to get fired. <laughs>
0: yeah (laughs) too much work coming in too much work coming in okay Fiona (laughs) um, I know at the moment you're actually on your lunch break you've been kind enough to grant me this time so I'm going to let you go and hopefully have something uh nice to eat before you go back to your probably very (laughs) busy schedule
1: oh thank you so much and thank you for having me
0: that's okay thanks so much for joining it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you um i'll have a little look at your social media to see what um what, what things you announce as the year goes on then when they're actually out <laughs> and then i'll know when i look back oh that's what you were talking about
1: yes exactly i'll, I'll just send you an email with a little nudge like <laughs> it, was this. it was this
0: one. <laughs> okay lovely yeah i can't wait all right then thanks so yeah. much fiona then have a great day thank
1: you thank you you too thanks bye